The Evolved Succeed podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability, and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Hello, I am Warren Munson, founder of Inspire and Evolve, and my guest on this week's podcast is Jonathan Webb, headmaster of St. Oldham's Academy. I recently visited St. Oldham's Academy and was intrigued to hear the story of the turnaround that has taken place. But within that story, the leadership that has been needed to enable that to occur. In my time spent on that visit with John, there were so many principles and ideas that also relate to those of us leading a business that I wanted to get John on the podcast to tell his story and share his ideas with us all. Among other things in this episode, we'll hear John explain about the simple first step he took towards establishing guiding principles and instilling significant change. Never ask anyone to do anything that you're not going to do yourself. I think if you want people to follow you and be able to take advice from you in terms of how things need to improve, then you've got to actually get in on the ground. John gives interesting insight into how he leads and motivates during the bad days. I learned many, many years ago that, uh, to be honest with you, you could spend most days potentially moaning about the things that aren't going right, um, but it's better to spend time focusing on the things that, that aren't going right, but what would be the solutions and how do you move those solutions forward. And finally, he points out that good people management is about compassion and consistency. Being a leader is uh, actually, for me, about you know making sure that you know all the values and all the things you believe in they stay the same. It doesn't matter what time of the day it is, and doesn't matter what part of the week it is, um, and and certainly the way that I would would treat people, I would hope people would say that 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 is a real consistent in that respect. Let's get on with the show. Welcome, John, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you very much. So, John, this is a slightly different podcast to perhaps some of our normal ones where we get business leaders, founders, uh, entrepreneurs in, and they tell them about their journey. But I had the privilege of visiting the school. and You took me around the tour of St. Oldham's recently, about a month ago, and I was fascinated, actually, about your own personal journey <laughs> and the journey of the Academy Trust that had taken over the school and wanted to learn more about your style of leadership and the leadership that's taken place to make this transformation happen. Thank you. So perhaps if we could put it in your words, where was the school back in 2012 when I understand it had that uh, unprivileged position of being named the school with the worst GCSE results in the whole country? Yes, and, and in fact, the history of the school and its um, difficulties probably goes back further than that, um, certainly for the last 20 years or so. But uh, in 2012, um, it achieved the worst GCSE results in the whole country, uh, wow. where the outcomes for young people were 3% 5A star to C, including English and maths, right. uh, which was pretty awful. Um, things didn't really improve uh, after that. Um, and uh, in 2014, it actually was then placed by... Uh, Her Majesty's inspectors uh, into special measures, uh, essentially for being dysfunctional and unsafe. And um, 
ultimately, as the uh, few months towards the end of 2014 uh, passed, uh, the situation worsened again uh, and the school uh, was being put forward uh, to be closed uh, because of the nature of what was going on inside it uh, and the very poor quality education. Uh, so when we arrived, we were invited by, at that point, the uh, Regional School Commissioner, Sir David Carter, who assembled uh, a team of people uh, from all sorts of different backgrounds. Uh, we'd never worked with each other before. Okay, um, we'll explore that a bit later. We, 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 we came together um, and uh, we, uh, we, we had the um, press and the TV outside the school uh, for a couple of days because it was quite um, uh, topical news. And we pulled everything that we wanted to focus on uh, in the immediate reopening of the school. Uh, so in February of 2015, in fact, really, uh, this particular week, as we're about to go into half term. Okay. Uh, so sort of five years ago, um, we reopened the school for the final three days, the Wednesday, Thursday and the Friday, yeah. uh, because we wanted to send a message to the parents that the school was open for business, that we were going to move forward with the school. And we wanted to make sure that by opening the school, uh, we were sending that very clear message of intent. Um, and that allowed us to also assess what was going on and, and what had gone wrong. So we opened it. Uh, it, it, it. We survived those three days. Yeah, it was a bit, a bit hairy at times. So how long before that reopening had you been involved in the project or was aware I, that I was aware of it. Role? I was aware of it. Um, and one of the reasons I was aware of it was because for some reason, the actual school building itself, when they designed it, uh, they uh, created an open plan building. So no doors or walls. Right. And if you can visualise four huge football size rooms which four classes in each corner of the room without any wall or door separating them it's anarchy isn't it it well that's probably the best word of describing <laughs> it absolutely and of course uh, alongside that you then had open plan toilets right alongside the open plan classrooms um and that in, in itself just caused uh, too many issues okay. so the young people they couldn't cope and i have to say i take my hats off to the teachers who were there at that yeah. time how on earth they taught for those two years, I have no so idea. So it was two years where it was like that, and it was still it like was. that when you took, it took was. on the role? So when we arrived, we actually had to have some major construction work at the same time as trying to sort the school out. So the main part of the school, uh, we literally split in half. Half of it had Harris fence right now in the middle. The other half had students walking alongside the Harris fence within the building, where they then redesigned the doors and the walls. Right. And of course, with that, all the furniture, uh, the laboratories, um, and absolutely everything in between. Wow, so it's a really challenging um, environment. Uh, we had to do a lot of work, and it's and, and the thing is, it's not about one individual; it's about a whole team of people yeah. uh, that came together in order to be able to do that uh, with with experience. And you've already said that this team that came together got pulled together to turn the school around to reopen the school yes that's correct yes. they didn't know each other so no so you know for example what was your background before taking the role as head of the school i'd worked at ringwood school okay. for around eight years uh before that i'd worked at a school uh, on portland for five years okay. uh, and portland community is quite similar to uh, the catchment area for uh, st Aldens academy okay. and when i initially went in so my first year with the school i went across as a vice principal so sean thomas who is now the chief executive officer of the trust okay. uh, she was the head and we had uh, paul holman um who was um 
the other vice principal, um, but is also a director of the trust. So basically, we're all three of us directors of the trust, yeah. but we all assumed, if you like, a, a sort of title that, that fitted with the school. And one of the things that we were absolutely clear on uh, is that as a unit, um, we made the decisions that needed to be made and uh, everybody could see very quickly that there was no point going to try any changes one person over another yeah. it was quite simply we'd reviewed it we thought about it it now needs to happen you're unified in your response correct and that, and that was really important uh, yeah. i can't stress that enough because in the third sector the education sector the yes. sector is well yes. you know political yes. kind of game playing yes can be right as it can be in business yes but it's seen more perhaps in yes, the... Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. But I also sector. think uh, it was a, a, an organisation, St. Albans Academy, that was crying out for some strong leadership, clear direction, clear accountability, and, and really clear systems. I've never been in a school when I first arrived that had so little in terms of how it was going to be operated. And, and I'll give a very brief example. Yeah, please do. Um, the, 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 the curriculum in any school uh, and in the timetable that sits with that is is the absolute backbone of any school uh, and I can always remember coming into a, a year seven maths lesson on a Friday afternoon and it was coming to the end of the lesson uh, on my first first week there and I said all right right everyone what have you got now and they said we've got maths sir I said all oh, right oh you're staying in this classroom and they said no sir where are you going then oh we've got another teacher who's delivering us another maths lesson on the other side of the site. <laughs> so in terms of actually a system whereby you would be controlling the flow of pupils and the fact that the same teacher would be teaching those pupils and understand those pupils, you know, you had pupils that then immediately were disaffected because you could end up almost having a repeat of the lesson they've just had. Wow. Uh, and as a consequence, you got the behaviour that occurred yeah, following the disruption. That. So, that, that absolutely. Occurs, and, yeah. and I think very often, you know, our own experiences, I, I often use the analogy of a football manager, really, just because we kicked a football, we can all give advice on how the team needs to play. Yeah. Uh, in a way, it's similar to schools. It may seem really obvious, you know, how a school can run, but the complexity that sits behind schools today is uh, pretty vast, actually. And timetables and rooming and staffing and the resources that are required and the types of room and the materials if it's technology or science uh, and the health and safety that sit yeah. behind all of those things and the amount of pupils you can have in certain rooms at any one time all of those things have to be taken into consideration and there was just no system to be able to do that it's a complicated process isn't very it? much so so was there a moment where you in that first week or couple of weeks despite that strong team that had come together and perhaps you were gelling and making unified decisions when you thought, what the hell have I done? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think all three of us felt that. Okay. Um, I, I think one of the challenges, uh, and certainly Sean and I uh, on that uh, very first few days, uh, I can remember it was quite a, a dark, wet Thursday uh, late afternoon. And... Uh, we were just sat there thinking we need to get some high quality teachers in this school. Mm. How do we sell this school with the long-term reputation that it has had with the fact that it was in special measures with the really negative publicity that it received? Who, who in their right mind would want to come yeah. and join us? It's career suicide. Well, that, that, <laughs> I have to say, I, I, potential of. <laughs> absolutely. And, and that has crossed my mind, particularly at the beginning thinking, yeah. have I really done the right thing? But, and I think this is something that, that I will stress quite a bit here. The moral purpose behind why we do what we do 
is stronger, I think, than than any other type of motivating factor that that you can use to employ people. Yeah. Uh, and certainly, uh, our experience and my experience is that if you explain why uh, we're doing what we're doing and what we're hoping to achieve, and and there is a real strong moral purpose, and you do that with integrity, actually, you get a lot of people that will open the door, look in see a glimpse of what you're trying to get to and think actually do you know what i could contribute to that and i, I want to contribute I to can it contribute to it i want to be part of this story absolutely. i want to help make it happen yes but that's about having a vision isn't it and absolutely and, a, and, a, and as you say a purpose and actually behaving in accordance with that purpose i mean yes. it's a bit like in business there's a lot of businesses that put mission vision and values on a poster on the wall and think the job's done yeah and then you know the actual behaviour that goes on within that business, that organisation, yes, is completely different. Yes. So, how did you all go about second out? You clearly had this purpose. The purpose yes. was it, the school had been described as dysfunctional and unsafe, and therefore, um, clearly, the first priority was to make it a safe environment for yes. the children. Yes. And also to improve the education and and keep the doors open. But how did you actually? So, there's a clear mission or clear vision of what you're going to do how did you turn that into some values and some purpose and a a path and a journey you're going to follow i i think one of the first things we did was, was actually uh never ask anyone to do anything that you're not going to do yourself and i think when you are in a situation that we were in which was so bad it would be very easy to sort of sit in an office and say well this needs to happen and this person needs to do that and 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 you know absolutely uh the importance of thinking strategically always has to be there. However, I think if you want people to follow you you and be able to take advice from you in terms of how things need to improve, then you've got to actually get in on the ground and and do an experience. So even now, even today, I have been on duty in the canteen okay. with all my staff team. Uh, I only gave up teaching uh, to students directly a year ago. Okay. Uh, and that's simply because I have, I cannot fit it into my time. It would not be fair on those young people. Um, and, you know, both myself and Sean and Paul and the whole of the leadership team that we pulled together, um, even to this day, we have not changed in terms of we will be out on the ground, we'll be in classrooms. Uh, the rest of the leadership team all still teach uh, a minimum right. of 10 hours a week. So they are doing exactly the same that a subject teacher without any responsibilities would do yeah. uh, and experiencing those good days, those bad days yeah. and everything in between. And I think um, for me, very often I've heard the term visible leadership. Yeah. And visible leadership in schools is crucial. And I think it can be very easy, particularly as you in, uh, sort of develop in your career and you get your office and, and, and then you get the meetings and yeah. the schedules. Um, so I try and schedule my calendar so that I always have time in the day where I'm out. Okay. Because I think actually uh, I like to test the temperature of what's happening. And I think we did that right from the beginning. Uh, so the vision that we had and, and what we were trying to achieve, we could see how quickly we were moving towards that vision because we were in the thick You're of it. You were at the coalface. Absolutely. Were there. But also making the point of stepping back. So the systems that we were putting in place allowed us every six weeks to then take a snapshot and say, right, how, how does those key performance indicators uh, demonstrate that what we've seen and felt and changed, what what does that look like now? Yeah, is it really becoming a reality? Absolutely, you know? absolutely. But I think the danger is, Warren, that sometimes you can you can spend a lot of time, if you like, poring over the data 
but not actually interpreting the data yeah. and then not actually putting in place and ensuring that it's put in place. So I, I have a few uh, well-used cliches that I use with my team, uh, one of them being inspect what you expect. Okay. Um, and, and actually really uh, when it comes to accountability, if something hasn't happened in the way that you want it, rather than blame everybody around you, look at yourself first. Yeah and really think carefully about have you communicated exactly what you wanted to achieve or have you essentially given somebody a shopping list and they've just ticked it off and it's made no difference whatsoever and that again is something that i think when you're trying to achieve your vision mm. you can have lots of people running around with bits of paper saying look i've i've covered my back i've done all these things i'm not really a fan of that i would rather have people focusing on less things really really well and actually being operational and doing in practice what it is that they're expecting to achieve with their vision. And that's what we've done at St. Aldham's. Brilliant. And you've got a very strong message that's communicated everywhere around the school as well. So do you want to sh share that mm. with us? Because there's a clear definition of what you expect from the pupils and what you want them to achieve as well. Absolutely. Um, so our, um, our slogan for the phrase yeah. is high expectations lead to high achievers. Yeah. Um, we have had that since the uh, moment that we've arrived. But one of the things when I'm talking to parents, to pupils, to teachers, is that applies to everybody. Yeah. That applies to uh, the way that we look as teachers. So, again, my staff will dress uh, very smartly. Mm. Uh, they will. They, all the gentlemen wear uh, ties and suits, and that's whether they're a teaching assistant, whether they are... Uh, a teacher, a head teacher, um, and uh, the the expectation and what we see in terms of how lessons are prepared for, uh, the quality of the resources, and and just to give an example, I went into a lesson uh, yesterday, uh, and I was going in there to look specific, uh, specifically for pupils that have uh, special educational needs with dyslexia, and I was looking to see, actually, has the quality that we, we are expecting, you know, is, has the teacher actually really thought about that person in the planning? And what was really great is you could spot the pupils that were dyslexic straight away because they had uh, blue sheeted exercise books, which enables them, because of the background colour, to track the words more carefully. Otherwise, the words for a dyslexic mm, okay. young person can appear to jump around the page. Um, and then I was able to look at the um, uh, support for that lesson that the teacher had put in place. And, and it was exactly as we would want it to be. Uh, and I think for me, it's trying to get that balance between teacher accountability, yeah. which, if done incorrectly, can disaffect a workforce uh, quite quickly. Yeah. Uh, but also, um, it's important to do because ultimately we're there for the young people. Uh, they are the most important people in that. They are your clients building. and customers. Absolutely aren't right. They? Absolutely right. Um, and therefore, it's getting that balance right so that you're, we're coaching our teachers to get them to reflect and to want to be better. Um, and again, I often use um, uh, uh, the analogy of the sports person. You know, Andy Murray doesn't stop doing his forehands just no. because you know he, he's number one in the in, in the world of being a tennis champion. And uh, actually, when I say that. To teachers they they do sort of think yeah you're right you know i know i've done this since for the last 20 years but okay what else could i do because young people have changed a lot in in their needs and i think our understanding is a profession of different educational needs that well, people have of change life is changing so dramatically absolutely you know, for, the next, for yes. each generation at the moment that, that pace of change yes yes for them and what's expected of them yes and there's some i mean there's some scary statistics and i'll 
I'll get them all wrong, I'm sure, but there is a statistic, isn't there, that over 50% of the children born today or, in, or starting education today will be employed in jobs that don't even exist yet. Absolutely. Um, and I I often have, and, and, and my a lot of my young people lack a lot of confidence. Yeah. I think young people generally actually do lack a lot of confidence. And I think that's because there's a lot of pressures. And, and they talk about this concept of being clever. Mm. And I say to them, it's not the cleverest person you need to be. It's the most adaptable person. Because actually, if you're more adaptable uh, than you are clever, then actually the world is changing. You're more likely to be successful. Yeah. Because it's those people that recognize what's happening and then adapt and, and develop themselves according to that that will ultimately find themselves in the position that they want to be. Yeah. And within Evolve and within Inspire, that's an interesting thing because one of the things that we want to recognize is those that can deal with change. Yes. Because, you know, both are growing businesses and if you can't deal with change and you know, adaptability is the biggest indication, clearly of being able to deal with change, then you're going to struggle as the business development Absolutely. evolves and new technology comes in. Absolutely. The, you know, the accountancy profession, for example, is changing dramatically because of the adoption of technology so that yes. ability i absolutely agree with you if, if we could educate the younger generations now to be more adaptable and to accept change and deal with change um it'll be remarkable you know when i was kind of going through my post qualification training it was you know who moved my cheese was the book absolutely <laughs> yes <laughs> Short, that one. Paper, absolutely yeah. yes but actually the the then the generations now need a lot more than that, don't they? They need to really understand how to be adapted. They do. And I think what's really interesting is that, again, you know, I'm a great believer that uh, and with any of the changes that we make, all of my changes are based in research. I will never, uh, and or certainly very, very rarely, ever change something for the sake of it. I'm not into knee-jerk reactions at all. Um, but um, one of the ways that we, we are really focusing on young people to be able to recognise that adaptability, uh, believe it or not, is through history okay. and the Industrial Revolution. Okay. Uh, because, you know, my, my personal opinion is we are going for another Industrial Revolution. Yeah. Uh, and actually, when you make a comparison to people's experiences back in the uh, 18th, uh, 19th centuries and, and what happened, um, and actually then getting the pupils to consider what changes are happening today, uh, the young people can make some really strong links. Yeah, okay. uh, and actually looking at how the people back then uh, adapted to those changes some of them absolutely uh did yeah uh, and, and others didn't mm. um and and therefore you know it's it's just the fact that life you know the, the only predictable thing is the unpredictability yes of, of that <laughs> what's happening exactly yes uh, well on that subject um i want to come back to sort of how you manage people in difficult situations and all of those kind of things but Surely education is being, you know, I, I talk about the accountancy profession, you know, the coaching, training, development profession being uh, disrupted significantly by yes. technology and other things. The education sector must be as well. I mean, just, you know. Yes. When I, when I started my career, uh, well over 20 years ago, I stood up in my classroom with a piece of chalk and a blackboard. Yeah. Uh, today uh, I quite often had that throat <laughs> yes I had that experience as well <laughs> I never could do that <laughs> no. these days I can tell you that, that the happen. um yeah. the education sector again like everybody else has a whole range of different uh hardware and software uh, packages and equipment that is used 
And I think one of the challenges that the leaders of today in education have to consider is strategically where, where do you go with the technology? Because you can spend an awful lot of a school's budget very quickly mm. on technology and get it wrong. There's a lot of research that, uh, if you like, the first wave of technology sort of 10, 15 years ago where millions and millions of pounds were put into the education sector to put in place things like uh, interactive whiteboards. Yeah. Uh, actually, has that really had an impact on the education of young people? Personally, I don't think it has. Uh, and I'm sure that there'll be some piece of research out there that somebody will show somebody you that will it has. It, absolutely. Yes. Uh, but I feel that actually for most teachers, it has simply replaced one board with another. Yeah. Um, but I think as a head teacher, equally, we want young people to be exposed to some of the types of technology that they will move on to work with in the future. And therefore, you do have to invest, and it's absolutely right to invest in technology. And, and I think the leaders of today, compared to the leaders 20 years ago, have a whole complete other strand of school development that, that has never had to be faced with. And also where the original technology has been put in, a lot of it now needs to be changed and upgraded. And that in itself is a, a very expensive program yeah. at a point over the last few years where money has been incredibly tight. Yeah. That must be that must be a challenging environment in the last few years, you know. For St Aldens, it has in particular. I mean, it has generally for education, um, but a lot of people uh, before we arrived actually back in 2014, the academy was defrauded of 1.2 million pounds. Oh my God! Which we are we are still paying back. So it wasn't our fault. So you didn't lose that. That stayed with you. That when stayed with the us. New academy Trust took on school. Absolutely. So wow. I, when I when I became the, the principal, uh, I had a, a large defi- in year deficit uh, of of uh, the best part of a million, and I had um, a one point two million pound um, fraud payment that I was repaying. So I've had to with the school improvement work we've done. I've had to think very carefully because there, there was only one way you build up an income in schools, and that's getting more pupils. Yeah. And when you've got a school in special measures and, and a lot of the connotations of the school that, that you know people still do have out there, and I, and I understand that, uh, it's very difficult sometimes to um, shift people's minds. Mm. But I had to and have had and continue to try to increase numbers. So we've actually doubled in size in the last three years. Wow. Which has, Congratulations. Which has enabled us... Yeah. Uh, hopefully by next year to set our first balanced budget and within another year after that we will have paid off with the support of the trust um, and Sean Thomas as CEO has been incredibly supportive uh, to to have paid off the fraud payment as well so we'll be back on a on an even keel but that that has taken the best part of uh, at that point it will have been probably six years to have reached that point. And my na- naivety, you know, obviously, if you make a loss in business, <laughs> you fund it because you've got existing cash at bank or you go yes. out and get funding from a bank. To do yes, that. yes. How do you fund that when you're a school, when so, you make a deficit? Yeah, so, so I mean, uh, this is where schools have changed a lot. Obviously, under the old uh, maintained schools model, uh, that would be sort of vacuumed up into the local authority budget. And, right. and obviously, that's a Just huge, huge budget. Kind of yeah, thing. absolutely. Um, we're very fortunate as a trust. Uh, we, at the point where we were struggling at that school, um, at its hardest point, um, we had the support of the trust who were able to... Um, ensure that financially we were still able to operate okay. uh, and also on the basis that as we now move through the next few years financially actually we will be supporting the trust 
in the other direction uh, right. because we will have um you know surplus correct absolutely and i think that really reflects again that sort of moral integrity of the trustees uh, and the trust you know we we generally will take schools that are in pretty difficult circumstances potentially in special measures or are in special measures uh, and there's a, a common uh, and, and it's a really unfortunate name, really. But there's a, a, a phrase. There's a lot of schools in the country where um, nobody wants to to look, look after them. For another phrase, right. they're called orphan schools, right. um, and it's really terrible. But but actually, it, it's where I think in in some cases education has become a bit of a bit of a business, and sort of you know trusts don't want to be seen to be taking on you know a school that might be more challenging, and then may not look good for that trust whereas actually ambitions academy's trust which is which is my trust uh, that i work for um actually we we will always look at and want to support those schools that perhaps are struggling the most so we've actually got 13 schools now okay and we have three nurseries as well and over what period is the trust built to that size so roughly around about the last 10 years okay so that's rapid growth in itself yes Absolutely. Has that led to its own challenges? At, Definitely. At the, at that kind of head <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we now employ about a thousand staff. Um, obviously, our turnover has increased significantly. Mm. And, and again, a lot of the functions that originally were delivered by the local authority and now all over the country are delivered by uh, private uh, trusts, for another phrase. Right. Um, and they've had to, in some cases, particularly some of the big trusts, and we, we'd be regarded as a medium-sized trust in comparison to okay. uh, trusts in the rest of the country. Um, but we've had to you know, really think and grow uh, human resources uh, and estates and the finance team because you really have moved from just having responsibility for a school yes. where there's pretty much a, a single person that fits all of those roles yeah. to it's suddenly a tight role, yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely and and ultimately you know when certainly a lot of us came into all of this we we came in as teachers we didn't specifically train to to run a business no. so we've learned a huge amount but also we brought in people who knew a large amount and and you've got a meeting of the minds really because i think one of the one of the things that i really look for in in a finance manager is not just do they understand finance but do they understand how the finance impacts and what i call the where the rubber hits the road so yeah. actually it's not just a figure on a piece of paper it's what does that mean practically when that then gets applied to the day-to-day -day life of, of schools and, and i guess you could you, could, so we, you could take that into absolutely. everyday life everyday business that's absolutely. a great philosophy yes John, yeah. absolutely and 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 i i think you know in terms of what i've had to do with the the financial situation at st Albans academy i've had to think really carefully about you know what positions i fill what positions i hold from filling what courses i offer and and at the same time the legislation that sits around schools there's a huge amount of compliance and things uh, you have to do yeah absolutely. You must have absolutely. To run. and also there are always curveballs that get thrown yeah. in um and although the building is a new building you'd think that was a really uh a, a sort of you know oh well you know not too much maintenance well actually it was the exact opposite <laughs> um you know there was always you know there's always a pipe bursting or a, you know something Something's breaking because it's the nature of things and, and ultimately you've got you know hundreds of students walking through it's a used small area used every day absolutely it? it's the wear and tear of the place yeah so uh that that for me has been a real learning curve okay um but one, one that um you know i would never say i was an expert at anything in fact i describe myself as a jack of all trades master <laughs> of none but i also believe 
in order to do what you have to do, I've got no problem surrounding myself by people that are far more qualified in their specialist areas than I am. I feel like as long as I can have a, a conversation and understand what they're saying and how that fits into the whole vision that I have, then that that is for me what makes that successful team. And again, that's a philosophy that you know most people would say applies in business. Isn't yes, it? you can ha- you can be the founder, you can be the entrepreneur, you can have the ideas. Yes. But actually, to get traction, to grow, to yes. succeed, yes. you need to surround yourself with people that are the better than you yes. and have areas of expertise yes. that you don't need to know all of the detail, but yeah. you know enough. Yes. And they can take yeah. that opportunity on and further it, and then yes. the whole business succeeds as yes. a result. So every day can't be a rosy day, though. It isn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that <laughs> honest answer. So... And I don't, you know, it's not to cover the, the the pupils and that kind of thing. I'm really interested that there must be days when you've got team members, if not yourself, but let's start with your team members, where your team members are just despairing. You know, yes. on a good day, everything's great. Yes. Every, the pupils are living to the, that aspiration and those values, but on a bad day, it goes wrong. Yes. How do you lead and motivate those team members when that happens? I think one of the first things I always do when when somebody's in that position is really try and understand before I make any comments at all about why they feel as they feel. And sometimes I think for all of us, we have members of staff who are not just bringing in, if you like, the baggage from what's gone on during the school or, or professional day. It's what's happening also in their personal circumstances as well. Um, and I think uh, for myself, um, I will always give people that time as much as they need in order to be able to try and articulate to me what it is so I will then clarify and say well okay in in the round actually what you're saying to me is yes yes in work that is something that is really really causing you a lot of uh, concern and frustration but also you've got a whole range of other issues taking place and it's sort of a bit of a perfect storm so I'm very solution focused okay uh, I learned many, many years ago that, uh, to be honest with you, you could spend most days potentially moaning about the things that aren't going right, um, but it's better to spend time focusing on the things that, that aren't going right, but what would be the solutions and how do you move those solutions forward? So I always try when my staff come to me and they've not had a great day, that they when they leave me, they know that they've been absolutely listened to. Uh, and again, I think there are certain techniques you can use to to make sure that people feel like they've been listened to. So I'll always recap the key points to people before they leave. Uh, And they also leave with uh, at least one or two options and solutions. And sometimes you just recognise with some people that they they just need a bit of a breather. Um, And and it could be that I will then, uh, for instance, I had a very uh, highly respected uh, senior team member who, who was really struggling uh, at home, at school. And, and again, you know, balancing family life, and I knew that if we didn't put in place uh, for a period of sort of three or four weeks a very different schedule for that person, actually the, the longer term consequences would be we would lose that person. And, and, and ultimately, I think if you can uh, put in place and, and find solutions that, that enable that person to just get that, that break, uh, but there's a very clearly defined end point and there are clearly defined review points, then, then actually what you get back from those people uh, beyond whatever the situation is, is fierce loyalty, uh, absolute commitment to what you want to do. And, and they just, again, sort of buy into what it is that you're trying to achieve overall. So it's, it's, it's kind of taking that idea of 
if it was a young person in front of me or a, or a teacher or, or a member of staff in front of me, um, I'm taking really the same approach for both for both people. And, and there is an element sometimes where I do feel as a leader, it is like leading a giant classroom. Yeah. And maybe that's the same in business, but yeah. you can probably think back to your school career and, and spot the different types of person. And you think, well, okay, what, what is the best way? And, and recognizing with your team that different styles of leadership are required. And, you know, sometimes uh, people just need to be told, no, I'm really sorry, it's this. And they'll just say, yes, absolutely, that's what I need to do. And other times they need a slightly different approach. So you've touched on something there, which is about treating people as individuals, which is yes. something I'm really passionate about. Absolutely. And, but the bit that I would reflect, and I'd just challenge you on, is when Inspire was me, laptop, phone and desk, where I was the only individual, <laughs> it was easy. But up to about 10, 15 people yes. and team members, yes. it was really easy yes. to see, uh, you know, to treat everybody as an individual. And we still do that, and we're 45 uh, people strong now. But it becomes really difficult. And there was a period of time, if I'm really deeply honest, where we lost our way with that, and we yep. became a bit corporate. Yep. Now, you're in a regulated environment yes, with you know huge amounts of responsibility every time that school bell rings to open the school day. Absolutely. Yeah. Responsibility the starts yes. throughout the day, and, and it probably doesn't end when they no. leave the school. <laughs> Uh, at the end of the day so how do you treat your you know your teachers your other team members as individuals in that highly stressed and regulated environment well i have a personal philosophy that i i will uh never show uh, any sort of sense of frustration or, or anger or or negativity in front of the person that um i may well feel that inside okay and and that's something i've really had to teach myself and, and I feel I've taught it quite well over the years because ultimately what I want people to do is if they have perhaps you know not not done what they need to do I'd rather they came and actually talk to me about how we can get a solution rather than be afraid of having to walk in through the door thinking that they're going to get an absolute rollicking and and sort of you know experience my yeah. frustration and well frustration, absolutely yeah. and, and ultimately it just becomes a waste of energy yeah. uh, because you can't change what's happened you can only solve it um, and actually, I think that, again, is part of the culture that we've built up. And also with my senior team, because I've treated them like that, then ultimately I'm a great believer that the, the rest of the team, the senior team, will will treat others how they've been treated. Yeah, I and absolutely. if you've got a culture that. from the top that is you know, dictatorial and uh, you know, very much a blame culture, well, that's exactly what you're going to get right the way through your yeah. organisation. Um, and I think also I was very conscious that when I got teachers through the door, had to keep them yes. <laughs> and it is a bit of a baptism of fire um in, in terms of you have to earn your stripes at st Albans academy with the young people yeah uh, because if you get it wrong they will chew you up and spit you out quite quickly Gross. um and uh no different it's a bit like having you know sort of uh, yeah. several hundred really difficult clients yeah. <laughs> at the same time yeah. all there at the same time absolutely absolutely and and i think again you know emotional intelligence absolutely so important in leadership yeah. uh, and um I think uh, when I did, I, I'm also an Ofsted inspector as well. And it was really interesting. I had a comment from a school I inspected this week uh, as I was leaving. And uh, the, the lady said to me, um, oh, can I just say, you're the first Ofsted inspector um, that, that comes across as human. <laughs> and, and I'm sure I'm not. But I think yeah. for me, as a leader, showing your human side and also 
I'm not quite open when I get something wrong. I won't, I won't hide that. Um, I've stood up in front of the staff team several times and said, look, do you know what? I, I, I said that this is what we're going to do, but I, it's quite clear that's not the right thing. I'm really sorry I've made a mistake here. Um, and actually, I think people find that quite refreshing. I think it's the only way. I mean, you know, I, I was, there's occasions I can recall here where I've stood up and said, look, we've done the wrong thing, yep. behaved in the wrong way, yep. we've got the wrong result. Um, but I'm the leader. Yes, it, it falls on my shoulders now. Yes, how are we going to work as a team? Yes, absolutely. To gather our resources together. Yes, to yes. overcome it. And even yes. though maybe I hadn't been involved in the day-to-day decision of that yeah. item, yeah, buck still stops here. Yeah, because it's the tone. Absolutely, it's everything. Isn't absolutely, it? it's set yeah. from the uh, from from the leader at the top. And I think also there's there's sometimes a risk. I think that you know when particularly when people are growing in their careers, they get a job, and rightly so, they've they've past the interview they've done the application form they've, they've done the interview tests but that's just the start of it and i think sometimes you know schools definitely can fall into the trap of oh well this person's now the uh, lead responsibility for this area that means they must know absolutely everything and and cannot make a mistake and and actually no they're, they're at the very start of their journey and i and i say to people when they leave when that when i appoint you know you are going to make mistakes but i want you to know that that's part of how you are successful yeah and you learn from it. I said it's when you don't learn from it or rec- or don't accept that you that you've made that mistake. That's where I'm going to have an issue. Yeah. So they get that message from me right from the beginning. And and again, because it's modelled as well, I think that uh, you know. I, I mean, very often and probably it's not the right thing. But sometimes we will just have a lot. You know, why on earth have you done that? That's <laughs> yeah. you know. But actually, again, it just diffuses any kind of tension because I don't want people. You know, that that kind of dreaded Monday morning where they've got to come in and see the boss or yeah. or you know something catastrophic's happen and they're sort of like thinking at what point will i should i go in the day when, you know, when's best <laughs> when, when's and it he, doesn't when's he had his second absolutely, cup of coffee and, is he be, you know, and, and awaken and, and, and that's not mood. and for me that's real poor management yeah uh you know being being a leader is uh actually for me about you know making sure that you know all the values and all the things you believe in they stay the same it doesn't matter what time of the day it is and time matter what part of the week it is um and and certainly the way that i would would treat people i would hope people would say that 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 is a real consistency in that respect so you've talked about and i can see it and i could see it when i walked around the school was the rapport that you had you know with your pupils with the other teachers the other team members you know it was one of the great takeaways i had was that you were you were engaged with them and they were engaged with you but and therefore, and I can see from what you're saying during the course of this podcast about your style and of management that leads to that. But there's going to be days when you have, you've had your game face on <laughs> and you are internally frustrated yes. and full of angst. Yes. How do you regenerate yourself? Oh, that's an easy one to answer, actually. Okay. Um, I, uh, the great thing about young people is that um, over the years, they, they have... They've written me an awful lot of thank you cards. Uh, I've had lots of things from parents. I keep every single thing I've ever had. So I've got this big, big drawer at home um, with all the communities that I've worked with. And um, those times when I I can feel like it has been an incredibly hard struggle, um, I do go and uh, select a few. And and I've actually had... um, Uh, two examples actually which has been really really lovely i had uh, and one of them most recently so i've always worked very closely with what lots of looked after children it's a particular passion of mine um and and again uh, for for 
benefit of the podcast really looked after children is those children that have uh, been taken into care by the local authority um, very often uh, nationally the figures for looked after children is pretty appalling in terms of their outcomes yeah. um, and they very often come with all sorts of, of issues and um, I, I've recently had a, a young lady who uh, got in contact with myself um, that I worked with eight years ago uh, and she was uh, this was in Hampshire and uh, she was in care um, and when she was in year nine, uh, she drew me this beautiful picture. And uh, I, she was quite difficult to manage. Uh, and, and I just had a, a really good connection with her and pretty much do what she, she would do what I'd ask her to do in, because there was a relationship we had. Anyway, I said to her, um, I said, oh, Sophie, um, I don't know if you remember, you drew me something in year nine. And she's now 23. Okay. And I said, uh, do you recognize this? So she came in to see me. Um, came down from where she now lives. Uh, she's married, she's got a family, she works for herself. And she's just absolutely gobsmacked. Uh, but she'd wanted, to, she very often, a lot of looked after children call their files and then they see uh, all the things that all different members of staff have done for them because I think everything is highly recorded. Yeah. Um, uh, so I've had a couple of, that a couple of times where, um, you know, that's happened. And, and for me, They're re-engaged. At yeah. And, and, and for yeah. me, you know, you're not, no, no thing in business. You're not going to win every single heart and mind. Right. You're just not. But I very much talk about with my staff, you know, sometimes there's a lagged reaction. So you might think that young person is not listening to you, but I bet your bottom dollar that a couple of years from now, if you were to talk to them, they will refer back to the things that you did and say, look, I wasn't listening, but I was listening and I did learn something, but I just needed a bit of sort of, you know, growing up. Yeah, in space order to and then, maturity to absolutely, take it on board. Absolutely, and, and there's no other intervention other than time sometimes that can make a difference. So I talk to a lot of business leaders on the podcast about where they find their inspiration, but that's clearly where you find yours. Yeah, because, because ultimately, you know, the heart of, my, of what I do is young people. So if 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 the if the thing that doesn't if the thing that re-energizes me isn't young people, it would be for me a bit of an enigma, really. Yeah, and clearly, and one of the other areas that I'm always interested to explore is around this. For me, you know, I, and it, your success as a leader is gauged not just on how, is this piece around holistic success and you know being successful personally as well as in business, i.e., being the head of St Albans. It must have been challenging at times to get that balance between a really demanding job and a home life. Yes. Um, <laughs> and and how do you cope with here, that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure she'll listen. So. Um, yes, it, yes. Uh, yeah, it has been very difficult. But I think that you... Um, I met a guy uh, the other day um, and he said uh, some people had told him that he'd been very lucky to, to get where he got to. And he said, you know what, the funny thing, the harder I work, the luckier I was. Yeah. And uh, I guess for me, uh, yeah, it's it, it, I don't have what I would call a particularly good work-life balance. But equally, I don't actually see a lot of what I do as work. Right. I don't have really, uh, you know, a great range of hobbies. I like to keep fit. But with the best one in the world, I, I just thoroughly enjoy what I do. And I have a real passion. And, and I, for me, the best buzz in the world is is where I see young people becoming young adults and then young adults that are really successful. And we have a, an event every year. Lots of schools have it now, um, which is a year 11 prom 
where the pupils have uh, dinner jackets and prom dresses and okay. it's in a we've got this year's is in the Hilton in Bournemouth so it's quite a you know quite prestigious, prestigious affair, absolutely, then, isn't it? absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and they all arrive in limousines and sports cars and all the rest of it um and sometimes, you know, when you've been with those young people, as I have been for this year for five years and watched them come in at year seven and, and actually just grow, not just, you know, it's not just about what the results are, it's what they grow as a human being. And, and actually, are you, are you giving back, back into the world young people that, that they can be kind, they can be courageous when they need to be, uh, they can have humility when they need to have it. And, and I think we visually see that at St. Aldham's and I know lots of my colleagues in schools see that as well and, yeah. and and I just don't think there's a better feeling that you can get out of that so what next for St. Aldham's then I mean the story <laughs> you know, the journey isn't well, we're complete is it you no know, it you're, isn't you're, you're on that recovery period even we now we are um, I, I have the joy of an Ofsted inspection coming up okay. um, so I'm not quite sure uh, you know how, how that will go I'm, I'm, I think I, I'm, I'm nervous which I think every head teacher would uh, and yeah. that's me as an inspector as well um but we are actually continuing to grow okay so at the moment we're roughly at uh, just under 600 pupils within three years we'll be at 980 wow so that'll be uh, a threefold over threefold increase and when yes the trust yes. to school yeah and that will be the largest population the school has had for over 20 years right so the signs are good so far certainly for september we look as if we've got a full year group uh, and when i think back five years ago where you know, we could barely get anyone through the door. Uh, the difference now um, is, you know, again, really heartening. And, and I think we also have uh, built up a really good reputation with the pastoral support that we give the young people. Um, and we're really, really grateful to businesses locally for, for all the support they give. We do a lot of work with the Lighthouse down in Poole. Yeah. And that's given, you know, experiences to young people. Uh, we've got some um, international trips now that we run. We've got it a whole load of students are off to Italy to ski uh, tomorrow. Um, and I've got three members of staff that are taking them, giving up their yeah. weeks to be able to do it. I say giving up their weeks. Yeah, they're off skiing. They're off skiing, <laughs> absolutely. I, I won't give them that much credit. Yeah, but, uh, but, but you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, just, just trying to give people opportunities which which they wouldn't normally get. So, Brilliant. Fantastic. So if anybody listening wants to find out a little bit more about the Ambitions Trust or St. Absolutely, Oldham's, yes. where can they go? Absolutely. So there's, there's two things they can do. Um, you can, uh, if you Google Ambitions Academies Trust, uh, then that is the Ambitions uh, website and that gives you an overview of the whole trust uh, and the work that we do. Um, or you can um, Google St. Oldham's Academy. Um, I do a lot of tours, as you know yourself, Warren, because yes, you've had one. I was one. amazed and hence why we're doing the podcast. Uh, so um, I always am very happy to invite uh, everybody around. And I also have a philosophy, actually, that um, you see warts and all. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a great believer that um, people need to see what what life is like and that it isn't you know and St Aldham's is not a bed of roses it's a hard it's a hard school to work in uh, we deal with um, a whole range of different issues on a daily basis that's before we even get to the education but and then hopefully you saw yourself you know that 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 sort of culture that we've built up there um, it's a the staff team there's a huge camaraderie definitely there's a huge sense of uh, people aligning around a single purpose um, and, and again, um, I, I can remember when I was moving through my career in other schools, I'd have these massive school improvement documents, you know, containing sort of 50 or 60 priorities for the year. Um, generally, I'll have three or four yeah. because I'm a great believer less is more. And I'm also a great believer that just because you announce you're going to do something, it's not the same as implementing it. 
uh, because I think a lot of you know a lot of schools I go into say, well, John, I don't understand why this isn't working. I said, well, no, because you've just got a shopping list of things. You're not actually really focused on the implementation of it. I heard a great phrase um, the other day, which is "do less but obsess." Yes, yeah, and it's, I think it really yeah. hit home to me. Yes, I, and I would totally subscribe to that. Brilliant. Totally subscribe. And I think the problem is otherwise improvement plans, you know, certainly for schools, you, you, you're almost writing a document to cover your back so that someone says, oh, you didn't think of that, did you? Whereas what I will do is to say, oh, it's not that I haven't thought about it. That's just going to be in year two or year three. And there's a logical order to actually trying to achieve what you want to achieve. Um, and, and, you know, it's it's really, I think, as a, again, from a staff perspective, staff then... Uh, you you kind of fall into the, the sort of trap of they've just got constant uh, initiatives and oh well it's another year so we'll have another initiative whereas I will run initiatives over two or three years to make sure that it's absolutely cemented in uh, and is and is actually achieving something so this comes back to you know inspecting what you expect and it's easy to inspect it if you've got less of what you're trying to achieve but you're achieving it really really well fantastic John you've been a great guest I I knew having walked around school that there'll be synergies in terms of leading a school going through dramatic change and development and rejuvenation as there would be in business. And that has come across loud and clear on this podcast. So thank you. Thank you. No, you're welcome. Thank you. I love John's humble approach and I hope that you enjoyed that podcast and that like I, there are some thoughts and ideas that you can take away and implement in your own business and organisation. It was a further reminder that although we sometimes think in isolation as the commercial sector, there's lots that we can do and share and learn and collaborate with leaders in the education, charity and public sectors as well. If you want access to further insightful content, events and inspiration, then please do go to evolvemembers.com and register for free to get access to the Evolve community. You can also learn more there about the peer groups run by Evolve and also our coaching and development workbooks and courses. If you are a business owner and want to work with a forward-thinking, award-winning, independent firm of business and tax advisors, then I and the team at Inspire would love to hear from you. Please go to inspire.uk.net to learn more about Inspire. I really do hope you've enjoyed this episode, something slightly different. And if so, please do rate, review and subscribe to future episodes. I look forward to you joining me again next week. Thank you.